This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So great to have you here today. We have a very special, very meaningful service for you here today about walking those 10 million miles and, and what's the journey of life like. And one of those things that I really believe about God is this, is I believe if God and Christianity has nothing to say, has nothing to say in those hard parts of life, it actually has nothing to say. But yet I think our love of God, God's love of us, Christianity, what new church offers, they all have so much to offer in those times that are really difficult. I first got to know Rich, uh, talking about his story, on a train ride back from Jefferson Station in Center City, 11.30 p.m., like on a Tuesday night. We just so happened to be on a train together. He told me his story, and again, my one skill, for those of you who are new, the only skill I have as a pastor is getting people to volunteer for things. And I said, Rich, would you mind saying that sometime at New Church Live? And he said he would. So I thought it would be a great way to kind of wrap up our series, Am I Enough?, to introduce Rich is my friend, Eric Buss, who's pastor of our sister congregation, the Bernathan Church. So I'm going to invite Eric on out. Please welcome him, and then he will welcome Rich for us. Hi, everyone. The keynotes that I want to offer you about introducing Rich, Rich Dom, are courage and authenticity. How many of you have been through something really significantly traumatic in your life? I, I bet quite a few of you. I, I know that I have. And I know that when, when I experience that, what I want to do and what I often do is I hide. I don't want to feel that. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have anything to do with it, and it ends up running my life. Well, Rich and I first really connected as friends when Rich invited me to a hockey game. Now, you're going to hear in Rich's story that that was a big deal for him. He was visibly shaking when he invited me to go to a hockey game with him. There's a lot of courage in that. And over the course of the hockey game, he told me a story, and I realized, wow, okay, that took a lot of courage. And throughout my relationship with Rich, I've seen him move into the fear so many times, to have said, I'm not going to have my life be run that way. And just this last Thursday, he committed to do something that he says terrifies him. And I really admire that. I want more of that. And I, the second keynote I said was authenticity. He, he's in a small group with me. And I think those of you who've been in small groups, and I know New Church Life has a lot of them, you know, it really makes a difference to have that one person who's willing to step out and to really be themselves in that setting. It gives everybody else permission to be real. Well, in our group, which was that person? He was the one who was willing to be himself, tell a story, not grandstanding, just being himself. And interestingly, his, his wonderful wife, Sheila, was the next person who stepped out and did that in that group. And that gave all the rest of us permission to be really ourselves. And that's been my experience with Rich, too. His authenticity has allowed me to be authentic, and it's brought healing in my life. But I think you'll see those qualities in him. 
Um, he's, he's married to Sheila, wonderful lady. I work with her down at the Bernathan Church Elementary School. Um, and he has four beautiful daughters who I think you'll see a little bit later. And so now I'd like you to welcome my friend, Rich Dom. Wow. Good, the mic's working. That's good. I don't think this is what they call hiding, although you could say the lights are, are hiding you guys from me, but that's fine. I know you're there. Um, wow. Thank you, uh, Eric. Thank you, Chuck. Um, that was uh, pretty amazing. I was always a little bit worried um, about the introduction just because it would uh, touch my heartstrings, I think, and uh, whether I'd be able to keep going if I had that happen. But it was awesome, so that's good. And you know what? Tears are fine. Uh, so if I, I start crying up here, it's okay. Don't, be, don't feel nervous for me. Um, I, I will recover. Um, so thank you to everybody at New Church Live making this happen. This is totally awesome. Uh, for me, I feel like this is a huge opportunity for me to be able to do this. Um, the topic of abuse is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. Um, and I'm sure anybody who's ex- had any kind of experiences of abuse know why. Um, but I am here to talk about it. So, and I'm very excited about that. That seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I'm excited about talking about abuse. Kind of funny, but it is true. Um, so I do also want to say thank you, though, to my family, because even though I might be a little bit nervous right now, um, I'm thinking that them over there, which I can sort of see them, uh, are probably a lot more nervous than I am actually right now. So guys, it's okay. Take a breath. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, at one point during the process of talking about this, we, we talked about like asking anybody in the audience if they wanted to step forward and, you know, because they'd been abused and sort of stand close to me up here with me. And, I, and while I see that, it's a really, really powerful thing. Part of me was a little bit cautious of that because you should really, really think about that before you come forward, anybody who's been abused. It's a big decision. But, you know, once you feel confident in your life about that stuff, coming forward and, and being open about it is, a, is amazing. But you just got to do it at the right time when you feel that it's okay. And so one of the things I thought about is that, you know, those people, if they came up here and stood close to where I am, I would have an immediate connection with them. Right? You know, I mean, they've, they've shared something that I've, you know, gone through as well. And there's an immediate connection there. And for a while there, that used to make me feel like, oh, you know, I, but the rest of you, how do I connect with you? You know? And so for the longest time, I felt very different than everybody else. That no one can understand me and what I was going through. But what I realized as I went through my process of recovery is that, um, my experiences really aren't all that different than everybody else's experiences. Everybody experiences pain, fear. Uh, people, lots of people suffer small traumas in their life. And I, what I realized is that that stuff, what happened to me actually gave me a much better connection with everybody in general because it's the human experience, you know, and it kind of forced me to deal with that stuff. And so at some point it was great. My cousin, John, awesome, I love my cousin, John, uh, told me one day, he says, Rich, Everyone has their stuff. Everyone. <laughs> so, and that was huge because I'm like, you know what? I think you're right. I think the more and more I talk to people and get to know them, everyone has their stuff to deal with. No one is immune. No one's perfect. There's only one person who's perfect. Um, so that was huge. That was for me, that was a, I'm not alone moment. That's big. I'm not alone. It sounds like I'm alone right now, but I know I'm not. 
Um, so, yeah, big, huge moment. I, I, I think it, in the end, it made me feel connected to the human race versus that whole time after my abuse where I felt very disconnected. Um, so I'm going to go over here and stand on this carpet here because this represents me surviving. Um, and this is probably where I spent most of my life. So they're probably going to have to get a new carpet over here by the time this is done because this is where I spent most of my life is in the surviving mode. Um, and, you know, was I enough? No, I didn't feel enough at all. Uh, anybody who's experienced abuse probably knows that it, it, there's some awful moments in there and you just, there's lots of opportunities to not think very highly of yourself. Um, so but the abuse isn't everything, though. You know, that's one actually small piece of my life. Uh, for the longest point, that was just everything I focused on. But as I went through my recovery process, what I realized was um, that there's a lot of stuff that led up to my abuse. And that, um, I think, some of those key things were, is in my upbringing, my father just really, really wasn't there for me. And there's probably lots of guys out there that could say that. And they're like, yeah, 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 everybody has to deal with that. But I think it's huge. I think it played a huge role in my life. I have one story I'll relate to you quickly, that my father, when he was, uh, right before he passed away, he'd been in a coma for 30 days, and about a month, I don't know if it was 30 days, and the hospital calls and says, he's awake, and there was something inside me that said, I need to get down there and see my father. And I dropped everything, hopped in the car, drove from here, lived around here, down to Maryland, saw him, and I actually mustered up enough courage to tell my father that I loved him. And I've never, ever, ever heard, remember my father ever telling me that he loved me. I don't even remember being hugged by my father. I, there were two moments in my life where I felt like he did like me and that he would fight for me, but that was it. So I say, Dad, I love you. He's got a trach in, can't really talk, but he can mouth words. And you know what he says? He says, I know. That's what he says. At the time, I'm like, whoa, like this something's not right here. But you know what? My survival mode is starting. I'm starting to sharpen my tools. I, you know, this is when the survival mode starts because you, you got to survive something like that. I needed him to say, I love you. I needed my dad to tell me he loved me. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Um, another big thing in my life that led up to the abuse was bullying. You know, by the time I went to a private school, my parents had divorced my mom had remarried, and we had a stepfather. And I had not a lot of self-esteem, so I had the proverbial, you know, target on the back um, that said, yeah, I don't feel very well about myself. You can make fun of me, and, and it'll work. It'll, it, I'll show emotion. It'll hurt me. And so I was definitely the target of bullying for the, quite some time, and it was pretty awful. One of the things I still remember to this day and still triggers me is people not wanting to sit next to me. So when I would go to school, almost every day, I would go in and sit. Wherever I sat, someone would either grimace, because I sat next to them. That was bad. Or if they could, they'd get up and move to another seat. And they would do it very visibly. They would just get up and move to another seat. So to this day, when I'm in a meeting and someone sits next to me, it's like, wow, they sat next to me. That's pretty cool. So, and right when I go to a cafeteria, and I work on a college campus right across the street. When I go to a cafeteria, I do not go by myself because if I sit down, if I go to that cafeteria by myself, I might have to sit somewhere. And I, that is just, I am that little kid back in school 
knowing that someone's going to grimace or get up and walk away from me. Openly show disdain towards me. So that's bullying. So the bullying, the, the emotionally distant father, those made me a target for abuse, and I was abused. It happened. Um, after the abuse, you know, I, you really go into survival mode then. You're sharpening all your survival mode tools. And one of them was I became, I love that term last week that Chuck used, self-esteem junkie. I was a self-esteem junkie. I had friends, and I only needed a few because I just needed one or two really close friends to make me feel better about myself. But the minute I wasn't with those friends, I didn't feel very good about myself. That's not a very good way to keep friends. They just can't keep up that kind of pace. You know, they got other things they got to do. So I didn't keep my friends for very long. This is when I entered what I call survival, decades of survival. And I was getting pretty good at it by this point in time. And I love the analogy of a chair. You know, it's got four legs. That's pretty good because, you know, if you sit on this chair, it's good. I don't fall over. But, you know, my life, it was missing. Let's say it was missing this leg. That's not good because when you sit on that chair that's missing that leg, it's not quite too steady. So you just got to stay like this, right? Because if you don't, it's like, whoa, and you're on the ground. So all my survival tools kept me over here. And really what that meant for me was I basically avoided all men in my life. I was afraid of them. Based on my abuse, men, you know, for me, it was men, women, and me. I didn't even think of myself as a man. That's how bad it was. So avoid men at all costs. Life's good. I can survive for decades this way, which I did. But then I got to the point where um, it just wasn't enough. You know, I felt very, very alone. So I'm in survival mode, and the one primary thing is to make sure I appear normal. No one can know my secret. So you do lots of things to make sure. You do lots of crazy things to make sure. You certainly don't do this. <laughs> you do not do this. I would never, three years ago, have been thought of something like this, but... So that was my, my main thing, is survive, keep the secret. Was I enough? Nope, I wasn't enough. As a matter of fact, I felt absolutely worthless. Even my abuser didn't want me anymore. That's how bad it was. So th- that's a pretty powerful statement. I don't think I need to say much more than that. But even my abuser didn't want me anymore. That was pretty, pretty, pretty low. That's not even feeling bad for yourself. That's your worthless. Um, it, was, it didn't stay that way, though. You know, life moved on, and I got over to this carpet, you know, and I went from surviving to thriving, if only it were that easy. You know, that's pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> um, it's not always like that every day, but it's, it's like that a lot more days. So I'm in the surviving mode, I mean thriving mode now, which is awesome, and one thing I just want to mention is that my theme song for this, which I can't wait for these guys to play, is a song called um, Show Me What I'm Looking For. It's by Carolina Liar. That was like my theme song for the entire time. So when you listen to that, listen to the words because it's pretty cool. So I can't wait to hear that. So what's thriving? You know, how did I, what, what even started that? Well, I read a number from Emmanuel Swedenborg that talked about the importance of connections. Connections are amazing. Connections with other people are amazing. Guess what? I didn't have too many of them. I had just enough to have my wife and four kids. And now, after decades of survival mode techniques, I am losing them. I remember telling my daughter, I said, Marie, I never say I love you to you guys. And her whole face, she, she was great though. She's like, Dad, but it's implied. You implied it. I'm like, I didn't say the words, I, I love you. 
I love you guys, by the way. Um, that's awful. That's not good enough. You need to say I love you more. I need to say it to my family, and I need to actually feel it. Um, that was the beginning of my journey. It's a process for everybody, and it's a different process. I'll tell you just a little bit about my process while I'm standing here on the thriving carpet because I wore a hole in the surviving one. But I'm on this one now, and I haven't been here very long. I've only been here for about three or four years. But it's been an amazing journey. My process, you know I was afraid of men. So what did I need to do? I needed to make connections with other men. And here's a quote that I love that kind of started me down that path. The essence, this is from Emanuel Swedenborg, Divine Love and Wisdom, number 47. The essence of love is not to love self, but to love others, and through love to be conjoined with them. It is also the essence of love to be loved by others, for thus is conjunction achieved. The essential ingredient in all love consists in conjunction. So it's a two-way street, and I don't, I don't do it. I don't tell people I love them very well, and I can't accept the fact that they love me because I'm worthless. So my process for fixing that was to focus on my relationships with men. That was the broken leg. That really was the key. And that's really scary, especially in today's society. Men, Western culture, I needed other men. Were they going to possibly be able to step up to the plate and be what I needed them to be? I didn't think so. I almost gave up at that point in time. But I didn't, which is great. So I basically made myself vulnerable. And there is nothing about vulnerability when you're in survival mode. There is no vulnerability in survival mode. So I had to get past that. I had to get rid of my surviving tools and move to my thriving, trying to thrive. And I had to be vulnerable. And I did it. Eric, awesome. I reached out to him. He described that well. I was terrified. (laughs) That was awful. Can you imagine that? Just asking the guy to go see a hockey game with you. Now, I didn't tell him that first trip because I was too scared. I told him a couple trips later, but um, it it was a process just to even ask someone to go to a game with me, but I did it. So that's pretty cool. And I'm glad I did that because what I determined was is the more men I had in my life, the better I felt. Turns out we're pack animals. We need to be part of the pack. And I'd lived decades not a part of the pack. I didn't want anything to do with them. Men, women, meet. So now I'm part of the pack. This is awesome. And what I'd figured out was is the father figure that I didn't have in my life, that was all the other men out there. They were really cool. It was actually kind of cool. I didn't have to be so afraid. Now, a men's weekend, that's a whole other thing. I don't know about that yet, so I still got some work to do. But um, that's that other event that uh, Eric talked about that I signed up for. Ah! (laughs) So, uh, men in my life, that was very important, and I realized that they were starting to be the father figure I never had. That was awesome. And the surprise from that is, is that I realized that my whole life, I've really wanted this relationship with the Lord, but I couldn't feel it with him either. I did everything I could to pray and want the Lord in my life, but I just couldn't do it. He's a man to me. The Lord Jesus Christ, it's a man. That's not good. You know, I can think of him up here, God. Okay, no body, nothing. It's not a man. But you can't have a relationship with that. It's not around. The Lord Jesus Christ, I can have a relationship with. Putting men in my life let me feel like the Lord loved me and that I could love him. And that was a surprise. That was awesome. Um, so I feel like a loving person 
Do I always feel like I'm thriving? No way. Do I always feel like I'm enough? Not all the time. No one does. Let's be honest. No one does. Everything in life is sort of a cycle. But it's okay. I have a lot more moments of feeling I'm on this carpet now than I am on that carpet. Every once in a while, those tools are really good. And they are not bad, by the way. Having surviving skills is not bad. It's actually good. Kept me alive. Don't, don't feel bad about them. They keep you alive. But you probably don't always live over there. Coming over here is pretty nice. It's pretty nice. I recommend it. Um, so the last thing I want to answer is, well, I did sort of answer that. Do I feel enough? Yeah, I feel like I'm enough right now. Um, the process for recovery is so different for everybody, and I really only touched on a little bit of it today. So as they said, I'm going to be over in the green room after this. I would love to talk to anybody who would like to talk about this. And the online community, if you want to talk to me and reach out to me, you can get, reach me through the New Church Lab offices. They'll get your messages to me, and uh, I'd be happy to talk to you. I know people view this stuff months and years later. I think I'll still feel the same way. So... Come talk to me after that if you want to. I would love the conversations and reach out to me through New Church Live if you're in the online community. And I think that's it because I'm probably out of time. But once again, thank you so much, everybody, for letting me come out here and talk to you guys today. I hope it helps some of you. So I, I just want to officially thank Rich. And one of, the, one of the parts of his story that ends so beautifully was a comment that, that a counselor gave him. I didn't. So, <laughs> and, and it was a beautiful, beautiful quote. And, and, and the counselor was talking to him. And, and he'd asked him a number of times, like, are there parts of your life that you would change? And, and Rich would say, yes, this part, this part, and this part. And then he reached this. He reached, he reached this beautiful place. Listen. He reached a place where he could finally say no. My life is what it is. It was what it was. It's led me to where I am today. And so that's that feeling of hope that we hope to share, that we, we hope to be able to put out there in terms of answering the question, am I enough, where the question in a sense almost dies. And we realize we always were enough and always will be. So thank you, Rich. You're welcome. Thank you. So again, uh, what, a, what a powerful talk that is. And I, and I think we can start to see through that kind of thing that, that, you know, again, religion has to be able to speak even in the darkness, even in those places that are incredibly difficult. And I know, for example, I was just getting some texts from some people online who'd like to reach out to Rich. You can either reach out to me and I'll forward it to him, or if you send me an email, I'll just send you his, his email as well and you can reach out to him. So are we ready to close the series? You know, it's, it's been a beautiful one. It's, it's, it's meant a lot. You know, it's, it's interesting as a team, as we were talking about Am I Enough? And there's these series that I know that I struggle with. And then I think, I wonder if there's anybody else who wonders if they're enough. You all wonder it, is what I realized. You know, we all struggle with it. And in, 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 in ways great and small, and to hear which a story reminds us of, of what is at the other end of that. So I want to close the series by reading a psalm talking a little bit about new church perspective on it, and then, a, then an idea about connection. This is Psalm 8, if you're following at home. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
You've set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You've ordained praise. And listen to this, just beautiful, about, about where we kind of fit, where we kind of connect into the whole thing. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what are we that you are mindful of us? The son of man that you care for us. You made us little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory. You made us ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under our feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the earth and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And that's a beautiful psalm that talks about kind of the connection, you know, and, and, and how we are this little bit lower than the angels, you know, this beautiful, beautiful line. And again, it, it comes back to new church concept. The hallmark of love is not loving ourselves. It's loving, I'm gonna have you say the U word really loud. It is loving others and being united, united to them through love. That idea of connection that's, that's so important. And with that idea of connection, I, you know, one of the things that I, that, I, that I, in going through this series, I thought more and more of is that, yeah, you know, that connection may be the answer to the question, am I enough? And it may not seem like the direct answer, but I don't know that we ever, I, I'm just speaking for me, I'm going to throw it out there and you're welcome to talk about it later in one of the two groups. I don't know that we ever can feel enough just by ourselves. I never sort of thought and, and sort of focused in my own brain and my own self and came up with a good answer, am I enough? I'm way too neurotic. And I don't know if you share that or not, but I certainly feel that way. And connection somehow does this much broader thing. Take a look at this beautiful quote here that talks about connection and what connection can be. The true meaning of humility is not self-deprecation or low self-esteem. So it's not sort of falling off the bridge that way. It's a simple acknowledgement. And this gets into last week where, where we understand, yeah, in a certain sense, we aren't enough. It's a very simple acknowledgement that I am very small, quickly passing away, and insignificant, and this is the key here, insignificant as a separate self. In other words, just by myself, I'm pretty insignificant. Our dignity and sacredness comes, let's say, say the C word here, our dignity and sacredness comes precisely from our connection with this deep and experienced, this is so good, with this deep and experienced and inherent connection with God and others, we are free to rest in a union that cannot be taken from us. That's, that's beautiful because we can see that, that movement again from just, from just surviving into thriving as we come into that connection. And, and in this weird way, the question, am I enough, goes, yes, you are. No, you're not. But, but the yes is small case and the no is small case. And then we get to enter a much bigger yes, a much bigger yes. A capital Y, yes. Which is what I really want to talk about here. I want to go sit over here to close this series. Now I'm going to ask, this is a little spontaneous here, so hopefully it all works. Rebecca's going to come out here and I'm going to ask her to just 
sing one line a cappella from that song that we, that we started with on, on 10 Million Miles. She's just going to sing one, and then she's going to go back off stage, and then, I, and then we're going to close the service with a prayer. So, Rebecca, if you could just sing that, that line for us, that would be one verse. One verse. Great. I must have walked 10 million miles. Must have walked 10 million miles. Wore some shoes that weren't my style. Ten million miles. Thank you, Rebecca. Isn't that beautiful? You know, must have walked ten million miles. Wore some shoes that weren't my style. I feel like we all identify with that. And I go back to these famous words by Maya Angelou. Maya Angelou herself was an abuse survivor. Her most famous book speaks of that. And the name of the book is this beautiful title. I know why the caged bird sings. She offers a beautiful story that I heard. It's incredible where, where she kind of moves from just surviving in life to thriving. She's a college student, not sure of her way in the world, very uncertain. God, not so much. God's way out on the fringe of her existence. And she's in a literature class. And she's asked to read. And a very perceptive professor has her read something and the three key words in it are God loves me. Can we say that really loud together? God loves me. And one more time, please. God loves me. So here's this sort of smarmy freshman in college coming out. And I can imagine, like, you look at the old, the old picture of her. She even looks like she has an attitude. You know, I can imagine that kind of that attitude. And she'll talk about what this means. And, and she's reading through it in class. And, and she comes to the line, God loves me. And the professor says, read it again. So again, I'm going to point to here. Please say it. So again, she says, And then she finishes, and the professor says, again. He has her say it seven times. And by the seventh, tears are streaming down her face, and she's broken open to the fact that God loves me, as she would say. And what's impossible with my life, if I know that, if I can allow that deep into my bones, if I can allow that to somehow answer the question, am I enough? And somehow the answer, the ultimate answer to am I enough, and please say it all together, the ultimate answer to am I enough is God, God loves me. Powerful stuff. And I realize probably a lot of you are like me. I can tell other people that all day long. I don't necessarily always believe it myself. Does that ring true for some of you out there? You know? But I'm here as a spokesperson for God to say, yes, he does love you. He really does. And in the way that her knowledge impacted her life was this, a beautiful line where she says that knowledge that God loves me humbles me, melts my bones, closes my ears, makes my teeth rock loosely in their gums. And it also liberates me. I'm a big bird winging over high mountains down into serene valleys. I am ripples of waves on silver seas. I am a spring leaf trembling in anticipation. And that's what we can think of as we close this series. 
What does that look like to move beyond our biography into our true identity, to find love and connection there, to move into that answer to am I enough, to understand how much God loves us, not in some way that is small and tiny and cute, but in a way that helps us to stand in our lives, that's going to help us as I come back center here, that's going to help us to find movement in our lives as well as we find a new place, a new place where we can be recentered where life can open up and unfold in new ways. That's what this journey, time enough, is about. Now to close today's service, Rich and his family are going to join us out here for a final prayer. I'm going to offer a prayer, then you'll have a chance to say your own prayer, to have a moment of quiet meditation, to say the Lord's Prayer as you know it. And if you would like, and it's just, you know, there's something on your heart and you just want to come down front and pray with me, you're welcome to. I'm going to come off stage here for the last song. Yeah. So that closes today. I want to thank Rich and his family one more time. So thank you guys very much. And I did notice his voice cracking as soon as he said he loved his kids. Woo. Yeah. I think that got all of us, Rich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and his whole family. So great. Please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. And Lord, allow us in some way to feel your love, to understand that the beyond the question of am I enough, there lies a small yes, there lies a small no, and there lies the greatest of yes which is connection with you and with others made in your image and likeness. Love embodied, Lord. Love in action. Lord, we're given such few precious years to live in our life. Allow us, Lord, to live these years richly, fully, connected deeply with those we love and with our world. And thank you, Lord, as always. With deep gratitude as a congregation, we thank Rich and his family for their courage to be here today. And we thank you for your loving presence, angels walking among us. In your name, we pray. Be with us on the climb. Amen. listening you can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv 